Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Guest of honour indeed, legend of the service, Mr. George Smiley. Thank you. Thank you, Ned. I don't think I'm a legend at all. I think I'm just a rather fat old man wedged between the pudding and the port. (laughs) Now, I've heard it said that espionage is a dying profession now that the Berlin Wall has fallen and the Cold War is over. That's poppycock. With new nations coming out of the ice, new alignments forming, old identities and old passions rediscovered, spies will be working round the clock. Some of you here, bright and ambitious young people, Ned assures me, will be among them. Your future careers may be busy and long. I wish you well. But may I offer a gentle warning? If you ardently, even successfully, pursue your career, you will be risking the death of your own natures. George Smiley. If I had not on an impulse invited him to address my passing out class when I was teaching new agents at the Sarat Training School, and if George had not, against my expectation, consented, I would not now attempt to make so free to you with my heart. It is, I think, an aspiring heart, but one that has often fallen short. In some of my more romantic moments, I've considered it the heart of a pilgrim, It has suffered many lapses and setbacks and buffets. The death of your own nature, a melodramatic phrase, perhaps. But remember how much of your work will be the ruthless manipulation of your fellow men and women. The end may justify the means. If you didn't believe it did, would you be here? But there is a price to pay, and the price does tend to be oneself. And I began to pay that price when... Well, I first began to recognise the cost when I was running my first full network. I was less than ten years older than the boys and girls Smiley spoke to that night in Sarat. We were based in Hamburg, and from there I could send my men out in our 50-foot fishing boat, convert it to a cabin cruiser, and land them almost anywhere around the Baltic. The Marguerite was her name. I called her the Daisy. The operation had been running smoothly for over a year when I was summoned to a meeting with the head of London Station. Artist, daredevil, sardonic and exotic, with his chaise long in the office and African masks and tapestries on the walls. Bill Hayden. So, Master Ned, you must be having a rollicking time. The son of a sailor and a sailor yourself. And here you are, sending your piratical old captain off on his daring mission. I'll be thankful for the posting all my life, Bill. And he looks the part, I'm told. This Captain Brandt. I suppose he does. Big, muscular, flaxen hair to his shoulders, the rolling gait. But no eye patch. (laughs) No. Well, time to acquire one yet. And his girlfriend, Bella, his Miss Latvia, does she look the part? I'm not sure what you mean. She's half his age, yes? Uh, Well, I think she must be, yes. Good tits. She is attractive, and uh, Brant's besotted with her. Are you? No, Bill, I'm not. Course not. You have little Mabel. Engaged yet? Not quite. That's the way, Ned. Caution at all times. 
attractive young Bella now, does she sail with her bold Viking captain? Well, of course she doesn't. She's never even been on board. What does she do then? Well, she's Brad's woman, and you might say his team's mascot. We're thinking of bringing her to London and grilling her. She's too much out of nowhere. Oh, Bill, if there's even a hint that we suspect this girl might be some kind of mole, Brad will go crazy. She's holy ground to him. He'll tell us to go to hell and dismantle the network. My question again, who is Bella? What is she? Her father was some kind of Latvian patriot hero. That's right. Or so she says. Ned, I have a notion. Could you get alongside her? That way, no need for a grilling. More a gentle, flirting quiz. Is she real, a hero's daughter and a friend of freedom, which means our friend? Or did Brandt just smuggle her into the nest in a warming pan? Or did Moscow send her? I can't believe that. Young master, neither believe nor disbelieve. Just find out. Flirt, cuddle, cajole, cosy her up. Even if you're not besotted. But of course I was. I had been for months. Mabel, to whom I was not quite engaged, was gentle, reliable, sweetly pretty. Bella was the most beautiful, daring, mysterious creature I'd ever seen. And while Brandt was off risking his life for his people, and for mine, with a lethal pill in his pocket provided by me to swallow if he was taken, she betrayed him with me, and I too betrayed him. I was unfaithful not only to Mabel, but also to my agent. I had no need to cajole or flirt. She came to me. She bestowed her beauty on me. And I was young. I still wanted to believe that beauty was truth. You are lying on his side of the bed. <laughs> his hairbrushes. You must use them. You must shave with his razor. I'm afraid you can't wear his clothes. They're too big and baggy for you. We will eat at his table. Use his knives and forks. You will drink from his glass. <laughs> and we will sit at his table entirely naked. Then, when I sit across from him, I will see you there, naked, beautiful. I did tell her about Mabel, but that it seemed too early to get married. It is always too early. And now this double mystery to her. As a woman, and as a potential traitor, elevated her to an object of unlimited danger, danger and obsession. If I flirted with anything, it was catastrophe, which duly and terribly fell. It was an inside job. Mission blown in advance. Dinghy goes ashore, comes under fire, immediate. Prepared positions. Dinghy, everyone aboard, the agents they were to meet, all unaccounted for. An inside job, sure as hell. Toby Esterhazy, fixer, listener, watcher, survivor, and at that time very much Bill Hayden's man. You agree, of course, George? An inside job? Yes, I do agree. If those agents aren't dead, they're being tortured. So at least Brand's got one consolation. We don't torture. Well, you can't think Brand betrayed the mission. Not sure yet. Right now, he's under a bright light in a Sarat interrogation room. Roaring like a bull. And if not Brand, Ned, who? 
Who gave away the coordinates, the date, the time? We did think the captain might suggest Bella the Baltic strumpet. He suggested instead it was one of us. Cheeky bugger. I don't think it was Bella either. Tell us why. I talked to her, Bill, just as you asked. She wasn't coy and she wasn't evasive. Her story seemed entirely plausible. (laughs) Young Ned, have you not yet learned that a good many spies do give a plausible account of themselves? I believe you have that gift. So what do we do? Let's hear what Ned thinks. Tell us, Ned, you still have the remnants of a network in Hamburg? Nine agents. Maybe still there. Do we abort your network, Ned? Apologise, act natural and look busy? (laughs) All suggestions gratefully received. Hayden was looking at Smiley with a jaunty grin as he said that. But his look became a chilled stare as he waited for Smiley to return it. Toby and I waited too, but Smiley did not return it. He was like a man declining to acknowledge a salute. Look at them. People with lunch. Dog walkers. Lovers. They've no idea. Neither do the ducks. I often come here, stroll about. I especially like to look at the ducks. An entire network. Dead or as good as... Dead. Listen to me. It is not your fault. Whose, then? Someday you'll know. It may be London Station's fault. It may be the fifth floor's. It may be mine. It certainly isn't yours. Will you please remember that? I always have remembered George saying that, but I only half believed it. Many years later, when I heard a story about the brand case from Toby, I was able to believe it even less. When you run an agent, you must be to that agent mentor, shepherd, friend, marriage counsellor, partner, protector, many other roles and disguises. And by being all things to all agents, one does run the risk of becoming nothing to oneself. Please don't ever imagine you'll be unscathed by the methods you use. Easy to sell your soul at your age. Much harder later on. Smiley, that evening at Sarat, spoke for twice the customary length, but I didn't hear a chair creak or a glass clink, and when the formal talk was over, he was dragged to the library and placed in the throne of honour before the fire for more of the same. My students, my children, hardened cases all, were in love with George Smiley. And me? Well, to me, he seemed to be asking the questions I'd been posing to myself for most of my working life. Did it do any good? What did it do to me? The privately educated Englishman. An Englishwoman, of course. (laughs) The greatest assemblers on earth. Natural agents. Nobody will charm you so glibly, disguise his feelings from you better, or find it harder to confess he's been a damn fool. Nobody acts braver when he's scared stiff or happier when he's miserable. You can have a force 12 nervous breakdown standing next to you at the bus stop, but you'll never be the wiser, even if you're his best friend. Or think you are. Ben Cavendish. In my mind, and only in mine, I know George was talking about Ben. And, yes, about the young Ned. Perhaps the old one, too. 1965. And Ned, even younger and more callow than he of the Captain Brant and Bella catastrophe, which lay years ahead of him. I got back exhausted to my flat after a day of confusing, fruitless and downright absurd reconnaissance to find the door on the latch and two middle-aged men in grey suits sifting through the papers on my desk. They'd made havoc of my place. One I'd never seen before, 
an owlish, tubby little man in circular spectacles, who eyed me with a kind of baleful commiseration. The other I knew. Personnel, we called him. When did you last hear from your friend Cavendish? He is your friend, isn't he, Ben? Well, yes, he is, if it's any of your business. Personnel, would you please tell him what's going on? When did you last hear from him? A week ago. Postcard. Where is he? I threw it away. What did it say? Dear Ned, this is my new catch. So glad you're not here. Love, Ben. Why would he be glad you weren't there? It had a picture of a girl on it, a nude, actually. I, I suppose he was saying I couldn't cut him out with her. Do you often cut him out with his women? We have no women in common, never have had. What do you have in common? Friendship. Now, either tell me why you're here and what you're looking for, or get out. How is the postcard delivered, Ned? My post. What else? The open mail, you mean? Not my service bag. I've forces mail. Um, Field post office, posted Berlin with a British stamp. Would you mind telling me who you are? Definitely posted in Berlin. You're sure of that? Listen, this was the fourth card like that he'd sent me since he went to Berlin. They all looked exactly the same, and they all had a picture of a tart. It was getting embarrassing. I have a cleaning lady. So these dirty postcards... Forgive me, I don't mean that offensively. Really not. They were a sort of running joke between you? Well, on his side, not mine. So you didn't send him any? No. If you did, don't be embarrassed to tell us. There isn't time. Look, I did not send any smutty cards. What do you, what do you mean, no time? What the hell's going on? Ben Cavendish has disappeared. So have his agents. A couple of them are featured in this morning's Neues Deutschland. British spiring court red-handed. The London Evening Papers are running the store in their late editions. Perhaps you should sit down, Ned. Disappeared? He hasn't been seen for three days. This is Mr Smiley. You're to tell him all you know. Everything. I have a house across the river in Bywater Street. You could pop round there. It's not terribly tidy, but it's better than this. So, you shared a cabin at Sarratt, you and Ben? Yes. And you were twinned for your training course? Well, for the last year, you choose an oppo and learn to work with each other. <laughs> choose or have chosen for you? Choose first and then they approve or they break you up. But they didn't break up you and Ben for a whole year. That's half the course. Day and night, as it were. Total marriage. Shall I take over and park for you? No, 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 no. I I think that's straight enough. Don't you? We're not blocking anyone. It's um, fine. I've never been good at parking in a tight place. My wife used to say I made it look as complicated as docking a liner. I'm just round the corner from here. Mm. Well, this place looks as if you left in a hurry. Yes, last night. And well observed. I've been told you have talent. You and Ben won everything going on your course. Oh, whoever had Ben would have won. He's the best. He was the best student, I mean, far and away. You really don't know where he is? I'm afraid we don't, yeah. Oh, thank you. Would you have sent Ben to Berlin? Well, of course I would. Why? Well, for a start, he's got perfect German from his mother. He's hugely intelligent, resourceful. People do what he wants them to do. He models himself on his father. He had a terrific war. So did your mother, as I remember, Dutch resistance. Well, yes, but I'm afraid she was small beer compared to Ben's father. He was a mathematician, a wrangler, genius as a codebreaker, apparently. He helped organise the double-cross system. And this was a big matter to Ben, his father's ability? Well, he said it was something he had to live up to. And it compensated for having a German mother with a background like that in England. He said you have to run twice as fast as everyone else just to keep pace. Oh, dear, poor man. Do you think he had the stamina? What kind of stamina 
would one need in Berlin for running twice as fast as anyone else? A double ration of nerves, I suppose. A doubly good head for alcohol and where women are concerned. Has been a regular girlfriend? Not that I know of. Irregular? Well, you only had to go to a dance with him. They were all over him. And after the dance? Well, he didn't brag. He wouldn't. He's not that kind of man. Did you ever talk politics, the two of you? Never. Everything under the sun but that. I'm so glad. Now I'm sure he must be sound. So where is he? What happened? Ben crossed into East Berlin on Thursday. He went in legally, driven in a control commission humbug. He slipped out of the car at an agreed spot. A substitute rode in it for three hours. I'm sure you learned about such ploys on your course. Oh, yes. He rejoined the car at 6.10, crossed back into West Berlin at 6.50. His return was logged at Checkpoint Charlie. He then had himself dropped at his flat. It would appear to have been a faultless run, except that he should have gone straight to station headquarters. Instead, he phoned there. We assume from his flat, but we can't be sure. He told the two officers who were expecting him, that's Willis, Berlin head of station, and Haggerty, senior field officer, and Ben's direct boss. Have you heard of Haggerty? No. And what about Willis? Nor him. Ben never mentioned either man to you? Never. Ben gave me no names, no details about his work. Of course he didn't. Now, please, tell me what happened. I've told you almost all of it. Ben let Willis and Haggerty know by telephone that the rendezvous had gone to plan, but he'd brought back nothing, only a high temperature and a stomach bug. Could they postpone their debriefing till morning? Unfortunately, they could. They haven't seen him or heard from him since. But he can't have defected. You're sure of that? Well, even if he planned to do that, which is unthinkable, why not stay in East Berlin? And they can't have turned him to play him back at us, or they wouldn't have arrested his network. Good reasoning. There was no evidence of kidnapping, but of course we can't rule that out. We don't know if he's left Berlin. On the other hand, if he has, we thought he might have come to you. You're closer to him than anyone. No one means more to him. Maybe. Ned, a letter was found in his flat, addressed to you. It's not dated and it seemed to have been just flung in a drawer. We rather think from the scrawling handwriting that he was drunk when he wrote it. I'm afraid it's a love letter. Smiley gave me a photocopy of the letter and as I read, he handed me another whiskey. Always, when I set that scene in my mind, I find myself switching to Smiley's point of view. Perhaps it's to help ease the discomfort of the memory. What he saw before him is easy enough to picture. A striving trainee trying to look older than his years. A pipe smoker. A sailor's son and a lover of the sea himself. A young man who can hardly wait for middle age given to nodding wisely. And a service officer with budding talent, no doubt about that. But too new at the game to know that for months the circus has been dogged by unaccountable failure. The arrest of Ben's agents, tragic in itself, is only the latest in a chain of losses. We have lost networks in Hungary, Czechoslovakia and Bulgaria. In the Caucasus our escape lines have been rolled up overnight. In Washington, our American cousins are voicing ever louder dissatisfaction with our reliability and threatening to cut the special court for good. In such a climate, monstrous theories become daily fare. Nothing is believed to be accident. Nothing random. The letter called me Ned, my darling. It laid Ben's hands along my face and drew my lips to his. It kissed my eyelids and my neck, and thank God, on the physical front, it stopped there. It was not a period piece, not arch-Greek or 1920s. It was an unobstructed cry of homosexual longing from a man I had thought of only as my good companion. 
I didn't know. Or you didn't know you knew? I did not know. Maybe he was forced to write it. Well, I'm sure he was forced. It's just a question of what by. Didn't you know either that he was so lonely? If there was no one else in his life, that might have been clear to you. Well, then why wasn't it clear to personnel? I mean, before they appointed us, they sniffed around our friends and families and teachers and dons. The circus knows more about Ben than I do. Did you ever meet his father? A few times. He's become something of a scholarly recluse. His only passion now is Bach. And Ben reveres him. Well, I think he's some sort of icon for him. So Ben wouldn't go to his father now, would he? He'd be ashamed. He'd want you. Because there is no one else, is there? You believe that's true? Well, it would appear so. But then he's not a fool, is he? He could hardly imagine that you would hide him in your priest hole without telling us. You wouldn't, would you? No. I couldn't. Which, if he's half irrational, he'll understand. That would rule you out for him. Still, he might drop by for advice or assistance or a drink. What we'll do now is call a cab to take you back to your flat. They'll be watching it, of course. You won't take that personally, will you? If you imagine being on the run yourself, if he is on the run, there are very few ports you'd feel safe to head for. So, they watch your flat. It's natural. You go home, you try to get some sleep, and please don't stray from your telephone without telling personnel what you're up to. And listen, Ned, you have the makings of a fine agent. I'm not sure I want to be one anymore. You are one. You have the watchfulness and you have the reasoning. I think you also have the empathy. Empathy? Yes, like I said. Imagine being on the run yourself. What would you do? Where would you go? Who might you turn to? You have to put yourself in Ben's position. Maybe there is something you don't know you know. It might come to you yet. Imagine being on the run myself. Put myself in Ben's position. Maybe there was something I didn't know I knew. Did Smiley deliberately plant the germ of self-knowledge in me? Back in my flat I stared at the sofa where Ben had so often stretched out after a long day's street training. I think I'll bunk down here tonight if you don't mind, old boy. Jollier than home. In the kitchen I laid the palm of my hand on the old iron stove where I'd fried him his midnight eggs. Call that a stove? Looks more like something we lost the Crimean War with. I began to tidy up the mess personnel had left on my desk. I found my last year's diary. I was flipping through it, thinking how much more of life we live than we remember. And there, in the month of June, was a line drawn diagonally through the two middle weeks, and the numeral eight, meaning Training Camp 8 North Argyle. And suddenly I was reliving our night drive through the moonlit highlands, Ben at the wheel of the open Triumph Roadster, myself beside him. I was trying to keep him talking, to keep him awake. We were both happily exhausted after a week of pretending we were in the Albanian highlands raising a guerrilla army. The June air was rushing over both our faces. So who is she then, this Stephanie who lends you her wonderful car? Steph is a sport. Steph is selfless. She's a light to the ungodly and a paragon to the virtuous. Who is she? She's from the Hun side of the family. My mother's 18th cousin, dozens of times removed. After the war, she came and lived with us in Shropshire. We grew up together. She's your age, then. If the eternal is to be measured, yes. Is she pretty? No, you vulgar man. 
She is luminous. She is peerless. She is perfection. Very pretty. She went to art school, took up with a mad painter and settled in a dower house in the Western Isles. Mad painter then shot himself, left a note to the local council apologising for the mess. No note to Steph. Where is she now? In the dower house on the island where she paints, talks to the birds, reads, plays music, paints, reads, thinks, paints and lends me her wonderful car. But you often visit her there. You've never mentioned it. Tell you what, Ned. Marry her. Me? Stephanie? It's a bloody good idea. You shall marry Steph, Steph shall marry you, and I shall come and live with you both and fish the loch. Why don't you marry her yourself? Was it only now, with the words of Ben's letter to me still searing my mind, that I knew the answer to that question? Or did I know even then that Ben's silence was telling me he would never marry any woman? I'm almost sure I didn't look at him when I asked the question. I'm sure I didn't look at him as he refused and went on refusing to reply. Neither of us ever mentioned Stephanie again. And now, ten in the morning, with the mess of personnel searching tidied away, but my mind still cluttered with confusion and uncertainty, I stood looking out at my empty street. If my flat was being watched, I could see no sign of it. I'd had no sleep. After finishing my tidying of the flat, even dusting and hoovering, I'd had a long bath. The Western Isles. A dower house on the Western Isles. But which isle? And Stephanie who? If she came from the German side of Ben's family, which was very grand, she was likely to be titled. I rang personnel. Have you heard anything? Afraid not. Um, I want to go out for an hour. Can I do that? Where to? I need a few things, provisions, something to read. Thought I might pop into the library. Be back by 11.15 the latest. Call me as soon as you get in. Will do. I went out and bought bread and milk. I used the shop windows to check my back. I was sure I wasn't being followed. In the library from the reference section I drew an old copy of Who's Who and a tattered almanac de Gotha. Who on earth in Battersea had worn out the almanac de Gotha? In the Who's Who, I looked up Ben's father. 1936 married the Grafin Ilse Arno zu Lothringen. In the Almanac, I found the Lothringens. They rated three pages. It took me only a minute to find the distant cousin Stephanie. The librarian had no telephone directory for the Western Isles, but she allowed me to use her phone to call inquiries. My own, I was sure, would be tapped. On the way home, I bought a newspaper. Again, I'm sure there was no tale. Where did you go? Just the grocers and the library. What did you take out? Uh, nothing, actually. Couldn't decide. I, I bought a paper on the way home. What do I do now? You wait. Same as the rest of us. Can I come into head office? Just wait where you are. So I waited. And while I did, I wrote a pompous letter of resignation, which I then tore up, and then I burned the pieces... I saw Stephanie all in white, Stephanie the Immaculate, my friend's protector. I was young, let me remind you, and in matters of women less experienced than you would have suspected had you heard me speak of them. I waited until half-past ten, and then I went downstairs to my landlord's flat. I told him there was a jealous lady stalking me, and would he mind very much letting me out through his kitchen. An hour later I was on the night sleeper to Glasgow. Michael, Michael, let me in. There's no Michael here. 
Where is he, though? Well, I don't know. I don't know who he is. Well, who are you? I'm a man trying to sleep. You still there? I had followed my counter-surveillance procedures to the letter. I was certain I was not being followed. At Glasgow Central Station, all the same, I dawdled over a pot of tea in the buffet while I cocked an eye for potential watchers. This is me since yesterday. It's the feet that'll kill me so they will. Ah, what can you do when you've nowhere to go? What I do is I keep the move, even with the feet. Eh... Uh, Maybe bags of sugar come in handy, Bob. Help yourself. There's still some tea in the pot. Oh, you are a tough and a scholar, son. That could have been no subtle watcher. But as a further precaution, I took a cab to Helensborough on the other side of the Clyde, and then the Campbellton bus to Westloch Tarbot. The ferry only sailed three days a week back then, but my luck held, a boat was sailing within the hour. Are you on holiday now, young man? I'm afraid not. Are you a doctor, maybe? No. Not much business where you're going. It's a family business. Ah, families. They can be a trial. Are you married at all? In spite of the first mate's questions, I was in my element. From the moment I take to the sea, everything is clear to me, anything possible. I gazed at the great crags as they approached, and I knew this is where Ben would hide. This is where his Wagnerian demons would find their ease. What Ben was driven by, I pursued. Swirling cloud, tossing sea, the mythic island, the priestess in a solitary castle. Please remember how young I was. I was in the middle of my romantic period, and my soul was lost to Stephanie before I met her. At the shop, they told me the dower house was on the other side of the island. Better ask young Fergus to take you in his jeep. Young Fergus turned out to be seventy of a day. We drove half an hour and then passed between a pair of crumbling iron gates. I paid off young Fergus and rang the bell. The door opened. A fair lady stared at me, but she wasn't wearing white. Instead, she wore a paint-smeared dark blue smock, and she had a parrot knife in her hand. Hello. You must be Stephanie. My name's Ned. I'm a friend of Ben's. Uh, also a colleague. I'm alone. No one knows I'm here. <laughs> Why should it matter who knows that you are here and who does not? I think Ben might be in some kind of trouble and that he came here to hide. Why should he hide? May I come in? kind of trouble? Well, it's to do with his work in Berlin. Has he not told you about it? <sighs> He's never talked to me about his work. Perhaps he knows that I would not be interested. Well, there's a, a hue and cry for him. He disappeared, you see. They thought he might come to me. They, they don't know about you. They? Who are they? And what is there that they might know about me? Ben was doing secret work. Ben? Well, like his father. He was tremendously proud of following in his father's steps. Oh, what a fool. Secret work. Why? why? Who for? For British intelligence. He mm -hmm. was in Berlin attached to the military advisor's office, but his real work was intelligence. All those lies he must tell. Ben? Well, I'm, I'm afraid so, but it was his duty. That is terrible. If he doesn't talk about his work, may I ask what he does talk about? 
At present, he does not talk to me at all. He seems to have become a Trappist. Sometimes he watches me paint, sometimes he fishes, sometimes we eat or we drink a little wine. Quite often he sleeps. How long has he been here? I think it's three days. Did he come straight from Berlin? He came on the boat. Since he does not speak, that is all I know. If I could just uh, talk to him. Is he asleep at the moment, or is he fishing, maybe? I'm going to paint now. The only thing you'll catch like that is pneumonia. I've been washing a few minutes, you haven't cast once. You're just standing there. I wasn't followed, I can promise you that. I've discovered I'm actually rather good at this game. Say something, Ben. You're right about Stephanie. She's extraordinary. And here's a strange thing. She comes closer to how I imagined her than makes any sense. That stillness in her, and fragility, that air of truthfulness uncorrupted, even her complexion. Good God, listen to me. It's true. I think if I'd met her somewhere else, I'd have known she was Stephanie. You've got to tell me. There's never going to be anyone better to tell. I broke ranks to come here. Tell me, Ben. What happened to the network? So you know you're good at the game, do you? Well, I'm happy for you. It's a terrible thing to be afraid of failure. In the drawing room of the Dower House, I opened shutters on one large window. Moonlight came in. I had an instinct that anything brighter would have disturbed Ben. The only sign of Stephanie was music playing quietly in another room. I knew she was keeping out of our way. Moving slowly, as silently as I could, I poured whiskey for both of us. My immediate boss was an Ulsterman called Haggerty. He's a shit. He thieves and he drinks, and now and again he rapes. Willis, head of station and London, they know what kind of man he is. They've wanted rid of him for years. But the linchpin of the network in East Germany, 12 agents, was a man named Zeidel. He'd been a friend of Haggerty's since not long after the war, and now Zeidel is fourth man in the East German Foreign Ministry. So he's valuable. And he's never worked to anyone but Haggerty. Ben told me how the Haggerty-Seidel connection worked. Once a month, Haggerty would cross into East Berlin and debrief Seidel. The game was to cross in a car, introduce a substitute, and hop out to meet the agent in another car, in a safe flat on a park bench, wherever, and then rejoin the car at an agreed point. And it had only ever been Haggerty who did this. If he was sick or on leave, no meeting took place. But a month or two ago, London insisted Zeidel be introduced to a successor. Haggerty was past retirement age and a known drunkard. Willis had been in Berlin so long his cover was blown sky high, hence Ben's posting. He was to be Haggerty's successor. I was untarnished, you see. I was clean. And Haggerty decided to punish me for stealing his network as he saw it. That network was his life. He'd do all he could to hold on to it. And he's a clever and merciless man. Like I said, a shit. So there were studied insults, constant night duty and weekend duty, 
hostile and bogus reports passed back to Haggerty's Supporters Club in London, and for a long time until head office bought him out, he would tell Ben nothing about his network. Then he told me it all. Fifteen years of it. Every detail of all the agents' lives. He'd send me pyramids of files, all flagged and cross-referenced. Read this, remember that. Who's she, who's he, what are their areas of knowledge? Note this address, that name, these cover names, those symbols. Escape plans, fallbacks, recognition codes and safety procedures for radio. Then he'd test me. He'd sit across a table from me in the safe room and grill me, just like interrogation. You're not up to it, boy. You'll lose us all. You're indoors all weekend mugging up. I'll test you again on Monday. He wanted me to feel inadequate. I did. I was. It was a terrible thing to be afraid of failure. But that I just don't understand, Ben. You're the best of us far and away. And you can't tell me you gave in to a bully. No, I didn't do that. Neither did London. They insisted I go across, meet Zidal. Which you did, and... Smiley said it seemed to have been a faultless run. George Smiley's on this. I think he's spoken to everyone who knows you. Well, well, the great Smiley. Anyway, before I went across, I put myself on an exam footing. He assembled a system of mnemonics and acronyms so that he could encompass the network's 15 years of history. He drew up consciousness charts and communications charts. He devised systems for memorising the aliases, home addresses and places of employment of all the active agents, sub-agents, couriers and collaborators, everyone. Then I transferred all the data onto plain postcards. On one side I wrote the subject, cover names, home addresses, dead letter boxes, and on the other was all the information on those subjects. You played the memory game. Right. I'd look at a subject, remember all I could on it, then turn the card over and see how much I got right. I didn't sleep much, but that's not unusual. On the last night before the run, I didn't sleep at all. I spent the whole night lying on the couch, staring at the ceiling. When I got into the office, I sat at my desk with my head in my hands and asked myself a question. If cover name Margaret Stroke 2 thinks he's under surveillance, whom does he contact, how, and what does the contact then do? Answer? Total blank. It was like a kind of paralysis. Haggerty appeared. I thought he might shoot me a trick question, and I was ready to tell him to go to hell. But he didn't. He actually wished me luck. Patted me on the shoulder. When he'd gone, I put the cards in my pocket. You took them with you? I was afraid of failure. Maybe that's why we do so much that we do, that fear. So Ben crossed the border into East Berlin. They used a specially converted Humber. Ben sat in the back with his double hidden under the seat. The Vopos were not allowed to search the car, of course. Precious immunity there. But switching with a double as you turn a sharp corner is a bloody hairy game. You've got to sort of roll out of the car. There was a bicycle waiting for me. I used it to get to the rendezvous. Met the famous Zeidel at last. He was fine, I was fine. He briefed me, I briefed him. I gave him some money. I cycled back to the pickup point, dived into the car, and we crossed into West Berlin. Not a hitch all along the line. Like Smiley said, a faultless run. I suppose the mere fact of having taken the cards did the trick. I didn't need them. Didn't look at them once. 
Well, I couldn't have, because I'd lost them. He made them drop him at his flat. He rang Zydel's emergency number. No answer. He tried to fall back. No answer. He tried to stand in. No answer. He took a cab to Templehof, made a discreet exit, came to the island, to the Dower House, to Stephanie. I waited for more. Surely this couldn't be all there was. No savage East German police rising from the back of his car with a chloroform mask. And then the appalling banality of what he told me got through to me. You could lose a network as easily as you could lose a bunch of keys. Where did you last have them? Oh, Ned, that is good. Like I'm a child with a missing schoolbook. Our childhoods are over, well and truly. And I just don't know. Maybe when I rolled out of the car, maybe when I dived back in, maybe on the bike, and it had a security chain on the wheels, and maybe when I stooped down to unlock it. It was one of those blazing hot Berlin days, so my jacket was open. At least sometimes when I think back it was. Sometimes I kept it buttoned. Your memory can do that to you when you've worked it to death. It gives you all the versions. Were you being followed, do you think? I've no idea. I couldn't be sure about that one way or the other. Not like you about coming here. And of course, when I discovered they were gone, I was in a panic. Couldn't see the past view house clearly, but then I always am. In a panic, I mean. That's who I am. I wanted to ask him when he'd written his love letter to me, but I couldn't. Besides, I thought I knew. It was in one of his drinking sessions when Haggerty was riding him hardest and he was in despair. What I really wanted him to tell me was that he'd never written it at all, that the simple questions had died with the simple answers. Our innocence was indeed over. Would you like another drink? Oh, yes. Several. Hello, Ben. And Ned, you did very well. Ben, I was sure. No, you were right to be. We didn't follow you, not in that way. Ned did everything he could for you, Ben. He did it with great cleverness. The lady at the library, it seems she took a shine to you, Ned. She remembered the line your researchers took. It was that line we followed, not you. Now, Ben. Would you go with Paul and Nancy here? I'll take you to the car. I swear to you, Ben. I believe you, Ned. And it really doesn't matter. Ben, you really are good at the game. He doesn't believe me. Oh, I'm sure he does. We've arranged a special sailing. You and Ben could talk on the boat. With me present, of course. No. I'm not going. Very well. Were you his lover? No. He wanted me to be. 
and I wanted him to be my lover. But that was not possible either, was it? It seems not. Do you think he's been with any women? I don't know. I think he may have tried, but it didn't work. Have you? Had women, I mean. No. What made him become one of the secret people? He has no capacity for such work. No one made him. It was his own choice. He wanted to imitate his father. Is that a choice? Of, of a sort. And you too? Are you a volunteer? Yes. And whom do you imitate? No one. It's something that has to be done, like emptying dustbins or cleaning hospitals. Somebody has to do it. We can't pretend it isn't there. Why not? We pretend lots of things are not there, or we pretend that other things are more important. That way, we survive. We cannot defeat liars by lying to them. It is very dangerous to play with reality. Will you remember that? Will you stay here tonight? But I didn't. I went back on Smiley's special sailing. For much of the journey, Smiley stood beside me on the foredeck. He didn't speak, but I think he was there to offer me his silent consolation. I never saw Ben again. They refused to allow me to visit him, even once, even with a chaperone. But then, if the circus had permitted such a meeting, would Ben have countenanced it? Three months later I heard he'd been discharged from the service. I wrote to Stephanie and asked her to tell me where he was. My letter came back marked, Gone Away. But her I did see again, in another, much later life. We had dinner together in Berlin. By then I'd been married ten years, and she was living with some famous or notorious academic and writer I'd never heard of. Oh, but he's, he's hugely distinguished. I mean, not in his first youth anymore, but then, nor are we. <laughs> he's completely adorable, and he's wise. Adorable and wise. That's a rare combination. I'm carrying his baby. Oh. What a combination it will be. How are such things for you, Ned? Oh, I think it's worked out pretty well, actually. Her name's Mabel, and she's very pretty and bright and loyal. Not perhaps the mystical, startling lady who opened the door of that dower house to me at another time and told me there was another world. There is no other world. No, no, of course there isn't. And Mabel and I have a jolly good partnership. <laughs> Parallel living, you might say. Works well for us. Where is he, Stephanie? Who? Ben? Of course, Ben. I think in Ireland. He was there. A cousin of his has a small estate in County Cork. Ben became a sort of caretaker for him, stock the river, look after the farm. Do you ever see him? No. I tried a couple of times early on, but he would not. That work of his, secret work, do you still do that? Oh, yes, but uh, I do try to bear your words in mind. It's very dangerous to play with reality. Did I say that? It is true, I suppose. When I closed the taxi door for her, 
She bowed forward as if she'd dropped something on the floor. And that was the last I saw of her. I waved her out of sight, but she didn't wave back. Stephanie, I suppose, was the first siren voice that sounded in my ear, warning me that my mission was an ambiguous one. My mission, my pilgrimage. A pilgrimage towards what? Something unambiguous, perhaps. Something as free of ambiguity and questions of utility as selfless love. Could there be such a thing? Or was it as much of a chimera as Stephanie's other world? And Bella, of course, was the second warning voice. Did I tell you what she said to me when the Captain Brandt operation had fallen apart? I don't believe I did. It is a pure nonsense. You tell my people to put their feet into the water and you wait to see what happens. If they are not shot, they are heroes. If they are shot, they are martyrs. You gain nothing that is worth having and you encourage my people to kill themselves. What do you want us to do? Rise up and destroy the Russian oppressor? Will you come and help us if we try? I don't think so. I think you are doing something only because you cannot do nothing. I think you are not useful at all. The last I saw of Bella was the accusing look she gave me as she was being bundled into a grey van at London Airport. I knew that van. It belonged to our Sadat interrogators. In the circus there was before the fall and there was after the fall. And the fall was Bill Hayden. I was boring through the wall of a medieval cell inside the Vatican in an attempt to eavesdrop on a corrupt bishop who'd got himself involved in a drugs-for-arms deal with... That's another story. Anyway, that's what I was doing when an urgent note reached me by hand of messenger from our Rome station. It read... Bill Hayden, director of Circus Clandestine Operations, has confessed to being a Moscow Centre spy. In all the panic and despair and shame and confusion that followed, we all, I suppose, had our own smaller concerns and wishes. Maybe Ben hadn't, after all, destroyed the network. Maybe Hayden had betrayed it long before. Smiley did ask him about it. No, George, I'm sorry. Not one of mine. You know how it was back then. Compartmentation, they called it. I had no access to Berlin. I'd wanted to get my hands on that network, of course. And when I heard what had happened, I had a bloody good mind to send young Ben Cavendish a bunch of flowers. But I suppose that wouldn't have been secure. There is some art to faulting the lie, of course there is. The real art in interrogation is in recognising the truth, which is a great deal harder. Under interrogation, very few people behave normally. People who are stupid appear intelligent. Intelligent people act stupid. The guilty look innocent as the day, and the innocent look dreadfully guilty. But just occasionally, someone acts as he is and tells the truth as he knows. Such a man may appear in our wretched trade terribly unconvincing. And on some level, Bill Hayden had told the truth all along. He was no upstart with a chip on his shoulder and a gun in his pocket. He was exactly who he'd always sneeringly described himself to be, church and spy establishment, with uncles who sat on Tory party committees and a run-down estate in Norfolk with tenant farmers who called him Mr William. 
He was a strand of the finely spun web of English influence, of which we had perceived ourselves the centre, and he had caught us in it. It was an aesthetic decision as much as anything. Partly a moral one, of course. I mean, if one accepts that secret services are a true measure of a nation's political health, a real expression of its subconscious, then what can one do but hate the Americans? What can one feel for Britain other than disdain? And as an artist, I'd said all I had to say at the age of 17. One has to do something with one's later years. So what became of Bella and Captain Brunt? Well, she was released after a few months and resettled in Canada. Brunt, too, was given a clean ticket and a gratuity to start him in a new walk of life. And the betrayal? Well, according to Smiley, the Brunt network had been too efficient for Hayden's stomach. Bill had destroyed it and tried to put the blame on Bella. And that's how the story lay until the winter of 1989, when I had a few drinks with that ubiquitous survivor, Toby Esterhazy. Perestroika, indeed. Is it not amazing? Upheaval, rejoicing, walls tumbling down. These are momentous times. Dangerous times. Is there any other kind? I have a story for you. This one will give you a chill, trust me. I was in Moscow a couple of weeks ago, a circus delegation to Moscow Center. <laughs> yes, I've heard the talk about normalization of our two services. Ah. We were wined and dined, as our American cousins would say, we were shown a time. Were you shown the torture chambers of the Libyanka? Strangely, they were never mentioned. On our last night, a special gesture of goodwill, we were guided round the gallery of Centre's communication hall. It is huge, then spectacular. Reports from all over the world go through there. Anyway, as I was leaving, I spotted a tall fellow at the far end of a corridor. He paused, a long beat stared straight at me, as if he might come towards me with his hand out in greeting, but no. He smiled, lowered his head, swung away, disappeared. He was far from young, but the build of a bull, shoulders of a wrestler, flaxen hair. Not guessed yet? Good God. That sailor's roll when he walked away? It was him. So maybe Bill had extra good reason to point the suspicious finger at Bella, away from your bold Captain Brandt. Was Brandt bad from the start? I had helped to recruit him, which would mean I had helped to kill our agents. That's a dreadful thought. And sometimes in the cold grey hours, as I lie at Mabel's side, it comes to haunt me. You know, in retrospect, I'm of the mind that we owe Bill Hayden a great debt of thanks. In the library at Sarratt, Smiley sat with his fingers curled around his brandy glass, he was gazing at its contents. One of my students had asked him if the circus might be housing another Hayden now. Bill administered the needle to a service that had been far too long a dying. As to now, well, I'm sure our present leader will have sown her discontents, don't you think? I do find I've become a great deal more radical in my old age. So, a new traitor. That's the wrong word, but... Perhaps I'm one. Once again, while answering my children's questions, teasing and enlightening and challenging them, George Smiley was speaking straight to the rebel in my heart. He was giving back the dangerous edge to my memory, and there would be much more from him that night to awaken the rebel 
and the pilgrim in me. In episode one of The Secret Pilgrim, Ned was played by Patrick Malahide and George Smiley by Simon Russell Beale. Bill Hayden was played by Michael Feast. Toby Esterhazy by Sam Dale. Ben Cavendish by Dan Stevens. Stephanie by Ruth Gemmel. Personnel by Nigel Hastings. And Bella by Keeley Beresford. The Secret Pilgrim was dramatised for radio by Robert Forrest from the novel by John le Carré. The producer was Patrick Rayner. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.